Right, we're live. Meeting a live morning here. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, everybody. I'm looking at the time. It's about one minute past nine, two minutes past nine, and uh, trusting that you're well, that you've slept well, and uh, holding up under the good news that the, the lockdown has been extended by another 14 days. So uh, we're going to be doing this until the end of the month. I'm always up for something new, uh, something different, uh, but obviously it's a serious thing. And so I'm wanting to encourage you all to pray for our government, for our, our president, I pray for the health workers, the um, you know the emergency workers, those that are doing essential services, but especially the health workers that are, you know, they are on the cutting edge. They're at the forefront of this battle against this um, wicked, wicked virus. And so, I want to just encourage you all to keep on praying, keeping your intercessions, your petitions to God, and. Um, uh, keep praying, you know, that this virus is broken in South Africa. We can ill afford it, you know, as far as human life is concerned. And uh, we can ill afford it as far as the economy of this country is concerned. And I know that it directly affects some of our um, business people, uh, all of them, um, but especially the one-man businesses who, who are basically having to have the turnover all the time. So I'm asking you, please, just to keep intercession, keep prayer, uh, keep praying. Um, just keep trusting God that this virus is broken in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, every good gift comes from our, the Father of heavenly light. So if it's a direct intervention of God and supernaturally this virus disappears, which we believe and, and we pray for, it can happen. And mm -hmm. it happened in the ministry of John G. Lake. And um, that um, not only that, but that, that there's a vaccine found, a cure found, medicine found. It's a good gift. It's from God. Um, don't believe all the stuff that it's going to contain the mark of the beast and the chip and things like that. It's a lot of rubbish. You know, I've been hearing these things since I was about eight, nine years old, and they've been wrong every single time. They're going to be wrong again. So the gates of hell shall not prevail against Jesus building his church. And you and I are part of it. So... So get some communion uh, ready, get the cup. I've got my bread here that I'm going to be sharing with you. And I have the, the cup over here with some, some wine. I didn't drink it down to that level. I <laughs> put it up to that level. So uh, we'll be having that together. But um, trust that you're ready. And it's um, a couple of minutes past. Let's just give it another minute or so. So I'm going to hand over to Johan, my dear brother. I'm so excited that he's here this morning. And he was so game for it. In fact, we were thinking of it exactly the same time. And when I phoned him, he said, I was just about to phone you. Why don't we do something? And so JD's been, been behind the screen scrambling. And both of these guys have been teaching me. So don't let anybody tell you that an old dog can't learn new tricks. And anyway, I'm not old. So, so I can learn new tricks. So here we are. And we're sort of conferencing it on Zoom, onto live stream, onto Facebook. And really appreciate the fact that you joined us. So I can hear myself now on Johannes' live stream. It's coming too. 
We'll, we'll iron out all the bugs. We'll get it work. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Johan just to lead us in praise and worship. Just a couple of songs um, and just lead us into worship. This is Easter Friday, Good Friday. This is the day that we remember Jesus was sacrificed, the Paschal Passover, pure, spotless, the Lamb of God, about whom his cousin John said, behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the whole world. And he took away your sin and my sin. He took up our griefs. He carried them away, our sicknesses, our sorrows. He became stricken of God. We esteemed him not, but um, he bought our salvation. The stripes on his back, by his stripes you have been healed. So, Johan, thank you so much. Bless you, brother. Amen. Thank you, guys. It's really awesome uh, to join in in this live service. This morning when I woke up, I thought about a couple of songs that we can sing and just glorify God. This morning I woke up with a song. It's a song I've, I haven't heard for a very long time. Uh, I haven't even sang it for a very long time, but it's really awesome. And let's just get to that place with God and just glorify Him. This is a prophetic song all over South Africa and all over the world. Let people be blessed and just get your focus back to God and let the peace of God just flood us in this morning. Amen. So let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. What the Lord has done in me. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb that was slain. Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus died, but he rose Into the river, highway, because there my sins are washed away. Jesus. And from the heavens, mercy streams of my Savior's love for me. And I will rise from waters deep. Into the saving arms of God. Yes, I will sing salvation songs. Jesus Christ has set us free. Sing it, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb that was slain. Hosanna, Hosanna. 
when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. <laughs> you have been so, so good to me. Oh, your goodness never ending. Oh, your love, your love fights for us, Lord, even when we fail, Jesus. You have been so kind to us. No, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. No, He chases me down, fights till I'm found. It leaves a ninety-nine, and I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve me, Lord, but still you give yourself away. No, the overwhelming, the never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, for still I'm bound to leave the ninety-nine. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. No, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, you're coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. In this time to sing this out, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, you're coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, you're coming after me.
Wow, his love is never ending. It's uh, reckless, overwhelming, pursuing the Hesed covenant love of God, where it says that uh, his love will never leave us nor forsake us. It will track us down. He loves us with an everlasting love. Thank you, Johan. Bless you, my brother. Really appreciate it. Maybe at the end, could you sing that song for us, Oh, the Blood of Jesus? Okay, at the end. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you a shout now. Thank you so much. Saints, I trust that you already, um, this has been an amazing week as far as the Passover is concerned and what we remember. And on Wednesday, I shared with you um, concerning the whole um, Passover um, sacrifice, the original one in Exodus chapter 12, and how they were to take a lamb, a lamb without defect. And, and I want to say this at the outset of um, this teaching this morning is that whenever a sacrifice was brought by the offerer, the priest would always examine the sacrifice and not the offerer. And so the offerer would bring the sacrifice for his sin, but he was not examined to see if he didn't have blemish because obviously he was coming for the, for the forgiveness of his own sin, but the lamb was examined. And the lamb was perfect. The lamb was spotless. The lamb didn't have any blemishes or broken bones. And so then the lamb was sacrificed. And of course, in the Passover lamb, the first Passover, the lamb had to be a year old plus, and it had to be without defect. Um, and it symbolized and it prefigured and it was prophetic of Jesus, the lamb of God, coming to take away the sin of the world. The lamb was to be slain, roasted, eaten whole with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And it was to be eaten whole by that family. And if it was insufficient, uh, members of the family, they were to bring in their neighbors or other family members so that the whole lamb was eaten. And that's the thing with the cross of Jesus. We get all of Jesus, not just a little bit of Jesus. So we, we, we receive the whole lamb, all of the benefits of the cross. And that's why Paul says that my, my desire, my purpose, that for which I'm pressing is to fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to the suffering of Christ for the sake of his church. In other words, he was saying, I want all of the benefits of the lamb. I want all of the cross. And that's what we're going for. And I know you as well are going for that, all of ACF and friends of ours who are watching. And so... So the whole lamb was to be eaten. And then the blood was taken and put on the doorposts and on the lintel. And remember on Wednesday, I shared with you that every Israelite had the lamb on the inside and they had the blood over them, not on the, the, the step of the doorway because we don't trample underfoot the blood of Jesus as some do, but it's on the side posts. It's on the, the, the top lintel. And so going in and coming out, the, the Israelites would be remembered or would be reminded of the sacrifice of the lamb that was for them. And then the destroyer, the angel of death that came to bring judgment, first came, and it doesn't say it in, in that passage, but I know from scripture, consistent all the way through, that the, the from the book of Genesis with Abraham, that 1 Peter 4.17, judgment always begins with the house of God. And I'm going to just explain that a little bit later. So the angel of death would first have come to Israel, fulfilling what was prophesied by Paul. He says the gospel is first for the Jew, then for the, for the Gentile. Judgment is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, because privilege or responsibility 
privilege implies responsibility. So the gospel was first to go to Israel and, um, and they rejected it. So a punishment came first to them by their rejection of it. But anyway, I don't want to detract from that. So, so the angel of death came first to them. And when he came, the angel of death saw on every household the lamb within and the blood over. And he passed over. He passed over uh, the people of Israel. And, and so judgment was averted. And from there, he went to Egypt. It's really interesting that there was an element of justice in the judgment that came because the firstborn of all of Egypt were struck down and was killed. And, and part of it was a justice. It was a recompense because um, Pharaoh had ordered the, the killing of the Jewish boys for more than for, for about 80 years. You know, the Jewish boys, if they were born, they were put to death in, the, in a trough of water or just, um, you know, not delivered fully. And so there was, um, there was some justice. And not only that, but Israel then left with the entire wealth of Egypt. And, you know, I remember listening to one preacher once say, you know, they were forced into slavery, made slaves, even though an earlier Pharaoh, they were there by his grace and favor. And so for 400 years, they were slaves. And so this was God's way of um, giving them back pay for 400 years. They took the wealth of the nation and they left with it to go into the wilderness. And so they were recompensed. They, there was a justice that came through the blood of the sacrificed lamb. There was a justice that came to the people of Israel. And that's something that I want to touch on this morning, I've touched on it in previous teachings, is that in the cross of Christ, there is a justice for you and me. There's a justice against darkness. And so for years, we were in bitter slavery. That's why they had the herbs, and that's why they had the leavened bread. Leviticus says it is the bread of affliction. Eat the bread of affliction. So it also represented no sin, but it was the bread of affliction. Together with the bitter herbs, he was delivering them from the bitterness of slavery for 400 years. And so God is a God of justice. And so there was some justice for them. And I wanted to say to you is that we need to seek the justice of the cross. There is a justice in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when he died, um, God was is giving us back life. He's giving us back everything, life and life abundantly. We were in death before. We were in sin before. Now he's giving us righteousness and life and life more abundantly. So we can expect blessing financially. We can expect expect healing for our bodies. We can expect um, strength and um, youthfulness because that is the justice of the cross. So we looked into it. So this week was a busy week for Jesus and his disciples. There was a lot going on. And today, Friday, we would remember, and it might not exactly be the exact date, but this is what we remember from yesterday, that Peter and John went out to make preparation for the Passover. And after sunset, Jesus ate the meal with the 12 when he washes the disciples feet and uh, including Judas's and then Judas departs from the supper and John's gospel records and it was night he went out he was in darkness of soul and darkness of mind Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane where he in agony prays till he sweat like great drops of blood all great drops of blood came out like sweat and then there was the betrayal by Judas in the garden and the arrest by the Sanhedrin and the temple guard from there, he goes to the house of the high priest as the, the Sanhedrin is secretly and very quickly um, convened. And uh, Peter then um, begins his denial of Jesus. Now, that's, that's into Thursday, Thursday night. And then Friday, it begins in the late night, um, early hours of the morning is the first trial before Anna, Annas, the high priest, 
who begins to look for a, a reason um, to charge Jesus, biding his time till the Sanhedrin is, is um, gathered together in his home. Then there was the second trial before the Sanhedrin, and Jesus is condemned and misused by them. The third trial is immediately at dawn. Meanwhile, this is when Peter denies Jesus for the third time, and when Jesus looks at him, and uh, you know Peter repeats the condemnation, and then Jesus is taken and handed over to the Romans. Now comes the fourth trial before Pilate until um, the morning, more or less. And then the fifth trial is in front of Herod, who is hoping that he would get some miraculous sign. And then the sixth trial, back in front of Pilate, and all of this has been going on, and uh, where Jesus is whipped, and everybody cries out. Basically, the whole of the city cries out, crucify him, crucify him, and release to us Barabbas. Then Jesus is handed over to the soldiers. Um, he's mocked. And they plait a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and beat it into his brow. By now, um, you know, so much of the blood of Jesus has already been shed. Judas then goes out to hang himself to fulfill scripture. And Jesus then bears his cross, carries his cross. We know Simon of Cyrene helps him to the gate in the north of the city. And he's crucified around about 9 a.m. in the morning. It is now 9.30 a.m., saints. And so Jesus by now would have been hanging on the cross for half an hour. Um, and so the whole thing has begun. And the seven sayings of Jesus, the, the discourse that Jesus made, the monologues that he made on the cross. And so, you know, so all of this is transpiring right now. All of this is happening. And, and um, you know, it fits right in with Exodus 12. It speaks about our deliverance from Pharaoh, who is Satan, from Egypt, who's the world, from his armies, which is the demonic forces. We've been powerfully extracted out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, of the son of his love. And so the bitterness of our slavery and sin, the bitter bread of affliction, is now something of the past. And we are born again. We are saved. So our salvation was foretold right there in Exodus 12. In fact, it was foretold in the garden. But anyway, we were looking at Exodus 12. And here it's being played out, acted out in time, in history, by the Son of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, um, around about the age of 33, prime of life, dying on the cross. So many scriptures being fulfilled right now. And so... Um, the thing that I wanted to just share with you, other than that there's a justice in salvation, is what Paul says in Romans 3.23. And, and I want to get to a particular thing just now, just show you something. It's going to bless you. I was preparing and studying again till late last night and then from early this morning. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That was all of us. But the next verse I don't know why they don't quote the next verse so often. And we are justified and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are justified freely by his grace. So I want to just knock on something that I've touched on before. And there's a little bit of a similar angle, but I'm going to bring in things that you've not heard before, saints. And I know that it's going to bless you. And communion is going to be just very special this morning when we take it. And uh, Johan comes back and, and sings concerning the blood of Jesus. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Because God presented him as the sacrifice of atonement so that we can be united with him um, and, and our sins covered through faith in his blood. 
That's his life shed. He did this to demonstrate his justice. There's the justice, and I'm, I'm skewing it a little bit, but the justice that he's talking about here is that God is a just God. God is a righteous God. And so he couldn't just ignore our sin. Um, a price needed to be paid. Someone had to pay the price, and Jesus identified with us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might identify with him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ by faith in his blood. And so he was just, but not only that, um, you know, he was just at the present time because he had left sins beforehand unpunished. So now it is punished on Jesus and, uh, in, you know, in God's patience, it's punished on Jesus. He did it to demonstrate verse 26 is justice at the present time. So as to be just, so he remains righteous and holy and just in the process of dealing with our sins because a price is being paid. Um, and that is by the life of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just, and he's the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. A little while ago at Alma Jacob's conference, I preached on the fact that in Christ is a very legal term, not legalistic, but legal as far as God is concerned. Because when he takes us and he places us in Christ, everything is legal, everything is righteous, everything is just, because Jesus paid the price. Our sins are forgiven. Our sin and unrighteousness is washed away, put away. God never remembers them anymore. And we are placed in Christ. Now we are presented before him, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, holy and blameless in his sight because he predestined us in love to be adopted as his sons. So where did all of this happen? You know, Isaiah 28 verse 16, another prophetic verse, it says, see, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone. In other words, he was tried and he was precious. A precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. And now we as living stones built of the same material as the foundation stones are being built up as living stones to become a temple in which he dwells by his spirit. The one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. Now, I've got to just... I've got to stress that the one who trusted him for salvation, the one who stretched out the measuring line of righteousness, put down the plumb line uh, of justice, the plumb line of righteousness. Incidentally, that was the plumb line that was in the hand of Zechariah when they were building the temple prophetic of us, that the plumb line is put against our lives and we stand true. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the justice the measuring line so that we can be the temple, the full temple, the glory of the latter house being greater than the glory of the former house. Woo, 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 woo. I'm enjoying this. I trust that you are. Hallelujah. Amen. And he says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Where did it all happen? It happened on the cross. So all those who trusted him will never be dismayed. Now, I, I, you know, I've said it before. I just want to say it again for those who are joining us for the first time and maybe not heard me preach this before is that a lot of preachers talk about the fact that there's a great white throne judgment before whom all people will appear except the believers because we've accepted Jesus as our savior. But um, we, our works will be judged. Now, please, you know, I want to ask you, that is a judgment. You know, you can say it however way. It's not we are, who are judged, it's our works. Well, where do our works come from? You know, I don't know where these guys get their thinking from. So in other words, they're saying we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And they call it the beamer seat. And so they put it in their timelines and saying that we will, as, as saints, probably soon after they quote 1 Corinthians 3, some verses there about, you know, everything tried with fire. And they completely get that out of context as well. And they go to Romans 14.10. And we're going to have a look at that. And then to 2 Corinthians 5.10. And we're going to have a look at that. 
and and just show we we will we will not be dismayed. I don't know about you. They go like you mustn't be afraid. You know your works are going to be judged and tried, but not you. Well, I tell you that if my works are going to be judged, that causes dismay to me. I don't know about you. I don't know how these guys work that out, but all those who trust him will never be dismayed. So. Where and when was all of this going to happen? Of course, you know it happened at the cross. Now, so let's look at the first verse, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. He says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? That whole passage is about those whose consciences um, were, were free as far as eating meat, uh, sacrificed to idols. That would tend to be more the Gentile believers. The Jewish believers, their consciences were still a little bit, of, little bit sensitive, and they were going like, you know, we can't eat this meat. It's been offered to idols. So, um, you know, you know, we, we, there's no fellowship between <clears throat> Christ and demons, so we can't eat it. And, and, and Paul was saying, you know, so one was judging the other's freedom or lack of freedom and, and vice versa. And Paul is saying, hey, you know, each one of you has to answer to God. And the way that you're answering God is through your conscience. If your conscience does allow you, don't do it. If your conscience allows you, do it. But don't judge each other. Each one stands or falls before the Lord. And so he says... Um, in Romans 14, 10, don't judge your brother or your sister. Why do you treat them with contempt? For we, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And that's not a one day thing. That is a current now thing. What is that judgment seat? Well, that judgment seat of God there is a principle that God put into place. And it was echoed through the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, verses one to six, when he said, judge not lest ye be judged. In the same way you judge it, you will be judged. The same courtroom that you set up, you will be setting it up for yourself. And so that's the judgment seat of God. And it's a thing that is here. It's a thing that's now. It's a principle that's enacted. So Romans 14.10, read the context, is not about something that will happen one day. And incidentally, a lot of translations say it's the judgment seat of Christ. If you just take the King James, the strong, and put it on Christ over there, you will see that it's actually theos in the original and the more reliable so uh, 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 um, translation. So it's the judgment seat of God. So it is not the judgment seat of Christ. That's put in there to fit with their, their doctrine. So, okay. So let's take that out of the way. So we're looking at the place of the cross, where it happened. So what did happen on the cross? You know, very often, I just want to backtrack a little bit, that judgment is always seen as a negative. You know that there is a positive judgment. If you were brought to trial and uh, accused of something falsely and brought in before the judge and the evidence, you know, you had the prosecuting and the accusing uh, attorneys, the, the, you know, or defending attorney, and uh, the evidence is laid before the judge, and, you know, he deliberates with all the evidence, and then he makes a judgment. Listen, he, he makes a judgment, a pronouncement that you are innocent, that you are not guilty, that you are free, that you are pardoned, charges withdrawn, there is no accusation, you are blameless, you would welcome that judgment. So judgment can be a very positive thing, and it is also a very positive thing. That's why the Bible tells us in several of the Psalms that the righteous welcome the judgments of God. They rejoice at the judgments of God. And yes, we rejoice because A, all of these judgments are always righteous and just and true. But number two, his judgment on our behalf is always righteous, just, and true. And because of Jesus, 
our judgment, our pronouncement is that your sins are forgiven, you are pardoned, you are free, you are not guilty, you are now the righteousness of God in Christ. Of course, we welcome that judgment as being in Christ. We welcome that judgment. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 1, his pronouncement, his judgment is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Yeah. I welcome that judgment, don't you? Um, yeah, so I rejoice in the judgments of God. And it's a righteous and a just judgment. He, ne he never did any justice, injustice to his justice and righteousness in proclaiming you right before God. So, so I'm talking a little bit about the judgment seat of Christ, but I want to just establish something, the mission and the purpose of Jesus. If you listen to a lot of the preachers these days, you would think the mission of Jesus was to come and to judge and punish the world. You would honestly swear that by listening to their messages, that that was his whole purpose. But his whole purpose was not to judge, it was to save. So let's go back to a very familiar verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, should not perish. And the perishing is the end result of the judgment of the condemnation because of accusations and blame. And so the perishing is the end result of that whole process. So he goes right to the end result of that process. He says, you're not going to perish because there's going to be no judgment. There's going to be no blame and accusation because I've taken it away by the blood of the cross. Man, this is good news. Well, I can hear some of you saying hallelujah and amen. And once again, you know, ACF members and friends, you love the word and it's just like you're drawing this out of me. So I love to preach to you. So, so here it is. Um, he came to save. Now, in the Old Testament, when you went through the gates and you entered and going towards the actual tabernacle itself, you would be met by an, uh, an item of furniture, the brazen altar, the brazen um, um, place of this brazen altar. So it was an altar where the sacrifices of blood, you know, the blood and the goats, the bulls were, were sacrificed and burnt on that, that um, particular brazen altar. And that represented the, the cross of Jesus. So I want to just talk about, because we were talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to just unfold it a little bit over the next year. I've got, I've got to hurry the next uh, sort of 10 minutes. Let me just quickly go through it. That, that brazen altar signified the cross of Jesus. And um, so the cross is the altar. But at the same time, Prophet Quirbus, um, Johann's uh, late father, who's in the cloud now, uh, wrote a book and taught a series on that the fact that the cross is the throne. And I concur 100%. I agree. Because the cross became the throne because it's the means by the means of the cross that he rules and reigns. Because he went through the cross. But not only that, all of his subjects, all of his citizens come through the cross. We pick up our cross. We take the cross daily. We've come to the cross. So his kingdom is a kingdom of those who have submitted and come through the cross. And so by the means of the cross, that humility and the sacrifice, by that means he rules and reigns. He's been given the name that is above every name. So it is the throne. But not only that, it is not only is it his throne, it is also the altar. It's his footstool. It's um, the place where he places his feet. And so the altar of sacrifice is also the mercy seat because the blood was shed on the mercy seat. It was the atonement cover. It was his blood that covered all of our sins and covered the law. And it was the mercy that triumphed over the, the, the legality and the justice of the law. So the cross is the throne, is the mercy seat, 
is the altar. So it is the judgment seat of Christ that, uh, because it's where he took our judgment. Now, it's so amazing to me that Orthodox Christianity is far closer to the truth than the Pentecostals and Charismatics. There's an Orthodox church where have this beautiful painting where Jesus is sitting, you know, in that circle, that painted circle, talking about, you know, his glory. And he's there and he's sitting on a throne of cherubim. And um, under his feet first comes out a river of fire. And then just below that throne on which he's sitting is the cross. And the cross is based on the altar of um, sacrifice. And then just below that is the scales of justice. Man, what a picture. I was, I was so moved to tears the other morning when I was looking at this. Because right there is the whole story, the whole truth of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the cross is the throne. The cross is the seat. The, 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 the mercy seat. The cross is the altar. The altar is the place where the, the scales of justice took place. And judgment took place. And Jesus drank the last drop of the cup of the wrath of God against our sin for our sakes, that we might be his righteousness. So um, just very quickly, let me just go to the cross now. I want to just come up with a subject now. So let's go to the cross. How is it the judgment seat of Christ? Well, quite simply, Simeon in Luke chapter 2 um, and verses 34 and 35 prophesied to Joseph and Mary concerning Jesus when he was brought into the temple. And he blessed them and said to Mary's mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in, in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So he would be a sign for the falling and the standing. He would reveal the thoughts of the hearts. He would be a sign spoken against. So let's go to the crucifixion now. And, and first of all, we'll see. So we see that Romans 14.10 is not the judgment seat of Christ. It's the judgment seat of God. So that doesn't count when we come to this. So the, let's go to the crucifixion. So Jesus is crucified. Luke tells us, I think it's in Luke 23, that two thieves, two malefactors, the King James says, are crucified on either side of him, one on the right and one on the left. The crowd are before Jesus and they're mocking Jesus. You saved yourself, come down on the cross. You, you know, save you saved others, save yourself. And it's really interesting that when all of this was going on, something very powerful happened. While they're there, and, and Jesus said other things, but it was in, in um, response to the crowd mocking and jeering and jesting. It included the temple God. It included the Roman soldiers. It included Pilate. It included Herod, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. All of those who judged him as guilty, he looked down them and Jesus made a pronouncement, a judicial pronouncement. Man, it's amazing. And um, it was a tribunal type of announcement that Jesus made. It's the kind of announcement that a magistrate or a or lawyer or a judge will make. He looks at the crowd who jeering, rejectfully, despising wicked people who've crucified and beaten him and uh, mocking him. You see, the thoughts and intentions of their hearts were being made manifest. Exactly the prophecy of Simeon to Mary. He was judging the thoughts and intention. He was the sign that was being spoken against. But he makes a judiciary, judicial pronouncement. Woo, listen to this. He says, looks at them, and this is his judgment. This is his judgment to the people. This is his judgment. 
He's about to take the full wrath of God against the sins of humanity. He's becoming sin for us. Now he makes a pronouncement, a judgment. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. Father, forgive them. That's his judgment. That's the judgment of Jesus. That's why it is the judgment seat of Christ. He was taking the punishment for our sin, but now he was making a judgment, a pronouncement, and he says, Father, forgive them. Immediately, the two thieves on either side of the cross represent two groups of people, um, and, and it's almost like a, a self-judgment. It's almost like a, a self-selection as far as this judgment is concerned. The foolish thief on the one side, on the left-hand side, Basically, let's just say it's left-hand side. The foolish thief says, you saved others. Save yourself. Save us. Get down off the cross. The wise thief on the other side, um, um, you know, rebukes him. And he says, we are here rightly. He's not here. He's innocent. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, uh, Lord, remember me when you come into your own or your own kingdom. And Jesus looks at him and he says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Another judicial statement. Number one, number one. First of all, Jesus was saying, my sacrifice is just and it's true. And I am just in the process of justifying sinners. Exactly what Paul said. And, and so he was able to immediately make a pronouncement and forgive him. And he justified the entire sacrifice on the cross. But secondly, he was able to say, your sins are forgiven, more or less. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now I want you to notice something. To the crowds and to the uh, unwise thief, Jesus never says anything. He didn't have a condemnatory word. He didn't have a judgmental word. He didn't have a judgmental action towards them on his behalf because he was taking all the judgment, all the punishment for their sins. That's why the cross is the judgment seat of Christ. Because he took the judgment, but then he made a judgment. And he said, Father, forgive them. Son, today you'll be with me in paradise. As far as all these people that are rejecting them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Come on, somebody give me a hallelujah. You can type it on Facebook. You can say, glory, thank you, Johan. Hallelujah. And uh, this is amazing. I've never seen it before. Maybe it's old news to you, but man, it really blessed me. The judgment seat of Christ is the cross. And, and Jesus said this just prior to him going to the cross in John chapter 12, verse 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Hallelujah. And then he says, and if I, I be lifted up, and he's now just been lifted up. He says, from the earth, I will draw all. And, and I want you to notice in the King James translation, you will see that the word men is italicized or put in parenthesis in brackets, but it's italicized to say it's been inserted. He's not going to draw all men. And yes, you know, through the cross, he is drawing men. But basically what he's saying is it's the time of judgment. And when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all the judgments to myself. And so Jesus was aware of this. I mean, he said those words. So basically what he was saying is I'm taking the judgment. Now, here's your judgment. Here's your judgment. Father, forgive them. Now, obviously, we self-select. On which side of the cross are we? Are we on the side where we say, Father, forgive us for, for we have sinned? Remember me, Lord. Um, is that what we're saying? The unwise um, thief 
just railed and repeated what the crowd was saying. And so he selected on which side of the cross he was. It's interesting that, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, Mark 16, 15 and 16, who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever is not, uh, who doesn't believe, stands condemned or remains condemned. And so you remain in your condemnation. You know, it's very interesting. This is the attitude of Jesus. I don't understand how preachers can say that one day we will stand before a judgment seat of Christ, a beamer seat of Christ, and give an account for our works. I can't understand that because our works have already been judged. And now we are not a, we are not a sin tree. We are a righteousness tree. And sometimes there's sin fruit, but we repent of those. But this, the tree still remains a righteousness tree. So Jesus said this in John 5, 24. And I'm just going to read some verses. Let me tell you his attitude towards judgment. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Now, that doesn't include any judgment anyway, and shall not come into condemnation. There we are. You shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Woo. John 5, 22, he says, the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the son. Oh, Pastor John, you're contradicting yourself. No, hang on. We haven't finished reading the scriptures. Verse 27, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the son of man. He stands with us. Aha, uh -huh, you are contradicting yourself. No, I'm not. Verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I speak not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. And in verse chapter 8, verse 16, and he says, and yet if I judge, judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, but I and the Father, uh, I and the Father that sent me. We're there together. And then in 1247 of John, he says, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. So Jesus is now elaborating on his judgment. He's saying, I'll tell you what my judgment is. This is my judgment. I don't judge. He says, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. There's the mission of Jesus, not to judge the world, but to save the world. And in 1248, the next verse, it says, he that rejecteth me. Now we're going to go back to the two thieves, wise and unwise. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The word that I spoke, what word? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you reject that word, that word will judge you. So the wise, the wise thief said, Lord, remember me. He said, son, you're with me in paradise. Now, where did all the condemnation start? I've got a couple of minutes, and then your heart is going to come and sing, and we're going to take communion. In Romans 5, 16, we know that by one that sinned, you know, um, Jesus and Adam stand as federal heads over all creation. One sinned and condemnation, it says, came to the whole world. One man's obedience um, and sacrifice righteousness was made available to the whole world. And so that's where it came in. And so um, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, because the 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 righteousness of the one that was obedient is now available. Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Walk after the flesh, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there's no condemnation. Condemnation came into the world, but now there is no more condemnation uh, for us whatsoever. And so, um, you know, John tells us in his gospel, it's very interesting that John tells us 
that um, he says, if you carry on reading from 1 John chapter 3, 16 and 17, he says that this is the judgment. Light came into the world, but men loved the darkness more than they loved the light. So this was the condemnation. This is where it came through one man's sin. Condemnation came. So the verdict, the judgment of God is this. Light came into the world. I sent the light, but men loved darkness more than they love light. So it's a self-choice. It's self-selection. So the judgment seat of Christ is the cross. It's also the throne. It's also the altar. It's also his footstool. It's also where the scales of justice took place. And so he says um, to us, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. So now we're out of condemnation. Now we're into the righteousness of God. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not destined us for wrath, for judgment, but for obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Isn't it amazing? How are these preachers preaching these things? And I just want to go back to a, another verse um, and that is this. If we go back and have a look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, those are beautiful chapters in 2 Corinthians, and I'm heading to a close. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 2 and 3, and then into 4, talks about the whole, you know, the coming of the gospel, the removal of the veil. We with un, um, uh, open faces, unveiled faces, all beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. And... Um, you know, down into, you know, we are living epistles. Um, and then chapter four, verse six. Oh, it's so beautiful. Where it says, God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have these treasures in jars of clay and we received the earnest of the spirit. And then he goes on in second Corinthians five to tell us about how we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed upon with our our permanent body. In other words, to put off mortality and put on immortality. And so he says, we must all appear, 2 Corinthians 5.10, before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things. Now, again, look at the King James with the italicized words. And I'm going to read it with the words put in, then I'm going to read it without the words. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now, let me take out the italicized words and read it again, and you will see. And here it is the judgment seat of Christ, Christos. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things in body, the things in body, in our body, from whose body? From his body from his broken body, according to that he have done, whether good or bad. And so here it is, self-selection. We make the decision. Here's the judgment seat of Christ. He took the judgment. He took the punishment. And, and now it's up to us. We take the things now um, in his body for our bodies, whether good or bad, like the wise thief, like the unwise thief, which are we going to do? Now, this, is, this changes communion completely and absolutely, everything changes. Now the Apostle Paul says, Romans 8.33, who shall lay any charge to the elect of God? It is God that justifies. So there's no blame. There's no charge. It's interesting that he says in Colossians 1.21 and 22, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And he didn't reconcile himself to sin. He reconciled 
himself to those who are righteous in the body of his flesh. There it is, in body, to present through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You know what those two words, unblameable and unreprovable, means? It means that unblameable, you are free from blemish. Free from blemish. In other words, what works are you going to be judged for in front of the judgment seat of Christ? Nothing, because you are unblameable. And unreprovable means that there is no accusation against you. Come on, church. Oh, Jesus, this is so awesome. Oh, it's glorious. So um, we need to understand that we are righteous, that we are unblameable. So, um, man, I mean, we could carry on and on and on. And that's why John says, oh, sorry, Johan, we're nearly done. Um, that's why John says that we are perfected in the love of God. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And the love that we live in is the John 3.16 love. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. This is how love is made complete in us, he says, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in this love of Jesus, this going to the cross love of Jesus. Perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So you and I are made perfect in love by the judgment seat of Christ, which is the cross. We self-select like the wise thief. We say, Lord, we receive your judgment. The judgment is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness for myself. I didn't know what I was doing. And sometimes, yes, I did. And uh, like the apostle Paul said, you know, when I look at my life, I feel like I'm the chief of sinners. But thank you, Jesus, that you forgave me of all my sin. Now, just remind ourselves of the communion as Johan gets ready to sing. We have the body, we have the blood. Doesn't that change everything about the communion? As we come to the communion, it's in a sense, in a sense, it's a judgment seat. That's why Paul says, judge yourself so that you're not condemned with the world when you're approaching the communion. Wow, man, this changes everything. And he's saying, don't eat and drink of it in an unworthy manner. In other words, don't be like the unwise thief. Be like the wise thief. Realize that a judicial statement was made. When we come to the communion, he's reiterating those words. Your sins are forgiven. It's a tribunal. It's a statement by a just judge, a righteous magistrate saying, come and eat. This is my body. This is my blood shed for you because I forgave you all your sin, all your iniquity, where I will remember it not anymore. And he's saying, so approach it in a worthy manner. Put your faith in the finished work of, of the cross as you come to the bread and to the wine. And that's why he says, some are weak, some are sick, some are died prematurely. It's a temporal sort of judgment through you not being unwise, through, through not being wise, but through being unwise. So when we take the communion this morning, oh man, we judge ourselves. In other words, we make an assessment. We make um, a decision. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to approach um, the bread because of his body broken. I'm going to take the cup because of his blood shed. Oh, Johan, won't you just sing for us? I trust that that blessed you. You got something out of it. There's no judgment seat of Christ that we're going to stand before one day. We already stand before. We've already appeared before. We receive in our body things good from his body. Bless you, Johan. Oh,
Get some bread, maybe. Um, Johan will sing it again just now. But the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. And uh, why don't we take it together and, and Johan will just sing over the blood just for about a minute. I don't want to use up all your data and stuff like that. But that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This do, whenever you do it in remembrance of me, the breaking of his body. Um, was for our wholeness and our healing. And uh, so he took the bread and he blessed it and he gave thanks. And so we give thanks to the Father for, for this indescribable sacrifice for our lives. And thank you for your body. Oh, the blood of Jesus. We say, oh, the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Awesome, amazing. How beautiful, how powerful the blood of Jesus. So I want to encourage you to receive the justice of the cross, you know, um, healing for your body, provision for every single need, because that is in the justice of the cross. If he could do it for the Israelites leaving Egypt, he can do it for you, coming out of sin and out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So around about now, Jesus would be on the cross. Around about lunchtime, there would be an earthquake and darkness would cover the face of the world. And about three o'clock this afternoon, um, at the timing of the two sacrifices, the two daily sacrifices, nine in the morning is when he crucified, was crucified. Nine in the morning, a lamb was um, offered. At nine in the morning, the priest would put incense on the altar of incense and that would go up to the Father. At three o'clock in the afternoon, at the time of the evening oblation, um, when the lamb was being slain in the temple. And isn't it incredible about and the stupidity of religion? And it's that same stupidity that says that we must still one day appear before a judgment seat of Christ. That while Jesus is um, hanging on the cross and as he dies at three o'clock in the afternoon, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees are sacrificing a lamb and sh shedding its blood. Meanwhile, the true sacrifice, the once for all at the end of the ages, was dying for them by their hands on a hill just outside of the city. Ah, oh, unbelievable. But that's the two sides of the cross. That's why it's the judgment seat of Christ. And so um, I want to ask Johan, if you could just close the session, just speak blessing over you and your family. And you can maybe remember, put a timer on your phone, three o'clock this afternoon, you know, lunchtime, darkness comes, earthquake, the, 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 the veil is renting to from top to bottom, three o'clock, Jesus dies and uh, commits up his spirit, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit and then gives up the Holy Spirit, gives up his spirit so that he can come back in spirit to us. Johan, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate it. Would you just speak blessing over our viewers? And thank you for being with us, but we'll chat again later. Amen. So we speak a blessing over everyone's life. May God just richly bless you and overwhelm you with His goodness as we uh, remember what God has done for us and just receiving His precious blood in His body. So thank you, Father. We just speak a, a, a word of blessing, a word of power over everyone, that the supernatural power of God will just increase overwhelm and overlap and envelop everyone in the name of jesus christ thank you for supernatural protection but also the peace of god that passes all understanding amen. to rule and amen. govern our hearts in christ jesus amen. amen bless you amen saints thank you johan oh bless you thank you for joining share this video tell others about it sunday morning johan will be with us again 9 a.m and uh oh what a blessing i i tell you i've just got goosebumps just really appreciate you all. Thank you all. Thank you for your continued prayers. Thank you for continued support of Bev and myself and the and the ministry you're giving. And 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 oh, you guys truly, truly are amazing. Let's keep praying, keep in faith, keep hope. Bless you. Happy Easter. Don't eat too many Easter eggs. <laughs>